0: movie I saw back in September or October was Cloud Atlas, the most divisive movie released last year, directed by Lana Wachowski, who is now a woman, who was a man a few years ago, Andy Wachowski, and both of those were responsible for the Matrix movies and the terrible speed racer, and Tom Tykwer, and... It's uh, one of the most expensive independent films ever made. It's actually listed its country of origin as Jordan. <laughs> and uh, it's adapted from a very acclaimed 2004 novel by David Mitchell. And there that was spread across six time zones. And um, each time zone is related in some way, but not obvious ways. And Like Life of Pi... It seemed pretty much unfilmable. Uh, it's, it's the book threw up a lot of ideas, um, and how to go about such an enormous undertaking, where it wasn't so much linear rewards as far as plots go, but the ideas and themes, uh, and recognising strands of things that are happening throughout the ages, were where the movie's heart and soul were. Was a very difficult thing, and a lot of the financial backers were nervous, pulling out left, right, and centre. And the movie, a few months ago, was regarded as the biggest box office bomb of the year, given its budget was over $100 million, and it had taken about $30 million at the box office. But it's now made money. It's actually made... it's had this fragmented release around the world. Um, so it's coming out on the 28th of Feb in Australia, finally. One of the last markets it's going to come out in. It was released on the 9th of September... Some of the markets it may have been leaning towards Oscar recognition, which never came its way. Um, the film basically is uh, the 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 earliest stages deal with the sort of American civil war slavery era, and there's another sequence which is set in the early part of the nineteenth century where a young composer shacks up with an older composer to where he creates this masterpiece called Cloud Atlas and the older gentleman wishes to steal it from him. And then there's the 1970s of Halle Berry as this investigative journalist, and she's um, discovering that there's this power company led by Hugh Grant who are deliberately trying to suppress information their nuclear reactor's about to fail in order that it will put uh, the oil industry back in the driving seat. And then it moves in. Oh, and then it has this amazing uh, slapstick part, which is set in the modern day, which features Jim Broadbent as uh, a bit of a rogue who ends up ensconced in a nursing home against his will and the uh, ensuing escapades of trying to escape. And then it moves into the future for the last two segments of the movie. One is set in uh, probably a few thousand years, or maybe a thousand years' time after the world has been pretty ravaged but the uh it focuses on uh soon me who is uh, a woman working in a fast food restaurant only in the future they grow them in laboratories and all they do is use them in fast food restaurants and they put them to sleep at night in these cocoons and that's their whole lives under the auspice that one day that they will be a free person and the, uh, that's obviously not what the case is. Silent Green is mentioned earlier in the movie by June Broadbent and is a very useful pointer to what's happening then. And the final sequence is in the uh, way, way out in the future when the world's been long since left by most of humanity and is virtually unlivable. Although that whole sequence takes place, I think, somewhere like Hawaii, and the world looks beautiful from from what i've seen but perhaps not so much with people but cannibalizing each other and focuses on Halle berry's characters uh, search for a transmitter that's hidden high above this mountain looking for a way to contact these humans that left generations and generations ago in order that they can leave the earth and go and join them and uh, the earth's time is at an end uh, the music for it is simply breathtaking. I'll come back with my opinion. It got either savaged by a critic or it got loved by a critic. Roger Ebert, the uh, esteemed film reviewer in uh, I think for for the Boston Chronicle or something, or maybe it's the Chicago Tribune, I can't remember. Um he he said that he wouldn't review the movie till he'd seen it twice and he thought that it was not so much the best film of the year but probably the best film of the decade. I've seen it twice and I will come back with my opinion after what I've said was the outright winner in my mind of the best score of the year and it didn't even get a nod. So this is from what Cloud Atlas appears numerous times. The uh, transmitter's also called Cloud Atlas but the young composer who composes this amazing, beautiful piece of music which then gets lost throughout time and that piece of music is Cloud Atlas. I think this film's a masterpiece. Um, I saw it again. Um, it's got a very large cast of well, it hasn't. It's got a it's got a very well used cast. It's uh, Tom Hanks, Hayley Berry, Jim Broadbent, Hugo Weaving, Jim Sturgis, Duna Bay, uh, Ben Whishaw, James Darcy, Zoozun, Keith David, David Gyasi, Susan Sarandon, Hugh Grant. Most of those actors appear again and again throughout each of the six different time zones in a variety of makeup. up um, I think this is where a lot of the criticism came from. I'll get into that in a little bit. But most of the actors play different characters throughout the whole movie through makeup. I actually found out that Hayley Berry plays the beautiful wife of the composer... I never picked it as her. I never picked her as wearing makeup in that because she just looks like a white English regent lady. And it's I couldn't believe when I saw that it was actually Hayley Berry. So in some cases, they did a great job. In others, they didn't. They got, a, got ridiculous criticism for some of the worst makeup in the uh, Korean neo-soul era bit for using actors wearing yellow face makeup. But that, to me, was a ludicrous uh, criticism because... All of the actors, including the, um, I believe, Korean, but I'm not sure, actresses in the film, are dress up as, as European characters. So it seems quite odd that the other way around is apparently unpermissible. But Hayley Berry can be a white actress in the film, and the uh, two, I'm guessing, Korean actresses can play a variety of... I think one of them plays a Latin American character, one of them plays an English, uh, English rose in another sequence... It's coming for a lot of criticism, it's easy to see why. It's an enormity, it's vast, it's nearly three hours, it's six stories and people have complained about it being a mess or they don't understand it or that it, it doesn't make sense or that it doesn't succeed in trying to make sense like it wants to. I think it does. I think it is an almost unique experience in cinema. I gave my best picture to Tree of Life a couple of years ago um, and this to me would rival that and better it in many ways if it had come out last year in Australia it would have ha- by a country mile been my number one movie of the year um, there's a number of things I like about it and I said that it was the two films that I reviewed last week uh, Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line were relatable to the 2 of um, reviewing this week and it does have that sort of Terrence Malick sort of meditative uh and there's a lot of dialogue sort of not spoken but thought in the film and that's sort of got that Terrence Malick thing but where it deviates massively from Malick's very po-faced style is a sense of humor there's no humor in any of Terrence Malick's movies as far as I can tell and this film is shot through with humor another thing I like about it a lot is it's almost unique way of it shoots all sequences at once instead of having half an hour in the old times half an hour in the modern day half an hour in the, and you just follow that it can flip backwards and forwards by the second often people will have thoughts that are said overlaid the top of a different time period the editing in this film is unbelievable it's like a guitar solo it's, it's that amazing and it does wear you down at times that it's flitting backwards and forwards a little too often but in general, it makes that three hours go by in a blur. It's probably one of the easiest and most interesting to watch epics of that sort. Next to something like Tree of Life or Thin Red Line, which both of which I think are masterpieces, have crushing, they're, they're a chore at times to get through. And you have to be in the right frame of mind. This is by far the most interesting, consistently, dynamically interesting, and entertaining epic of this sort I've ever seen. Um, it's irreverent and funny and that's come from those directors of Wachowski Brothers I guess and the source material itself where it could have been really torpid and po-faced and dull and overly self-serious it's sometimes it's just wacky and silly and it's very funny the whole Jim Broadbent escaping from the old people's home features Hugo Weaving as a female nurse who is quite spectacular and the whole thing is just slapstick British farce and one of the things I love about the movie so much is that each sequence has a completely different tonality to it. Like the Hayley Berry in the 1970s pot smoking and all of that sort of thing is in a totally different frame to the way that each era is shot, which suits itself. If there's some failings, I think that the earlier period sequences are better than the future period sequences. Those are the clumsiest um, And they're apparently the two that were directed by the Wachowski brothers. Whereas Tom Tykwer directs all of the early stuff up to the present day. And he does an amazing job. I don't think he falls down with any of his contributions. Some of the future bits do fall down a little. Um, For instance, no film should ever make up a language. And it's hard enough when it's Elf. But when they make up Pidgin English, it undercuts what's being said because it's too dominating, you're sort of focusing on Tom Hanks and Hayley Berry using this fake pigeon English, which I found attracting. Um, the one thing I did find was that the second time I watched it, I focused less on the flaws, which are very striking, such as some of the facial makeup is laughable, some of it's brilliant, and some of it's laughable, and every time you f- something juts out that's laughable, it kind of, it knocks you away from it but the second time i saw it i was focused on the film's strengths and it really grew for me the second time i saw it um i noticed and you notice there's so much detail rich detail in the links between the various sequences i noticed this time watching it how many times bridges are involved Haley berry i think falls off of at least two bridges in very different manners um I think it's gotten a great deal of sense of fun and it's incredibly fast and dynamic. It continually flips from one thing to another so well that forgiving it all its failings, how they managed to get such a colossal enterprise to weave together so seamlessly for virtually all of it is pretty mind-blowing. And I think this deserved Best Picture Oscar above um, even Life of Pi. I think it was the one... I, I said I haven't seen a more... Um, but I think the one true masterpiece that came out last year, warts and all, um, if there's a unifying story, then I would suggest one of the things that seems prevalent throughout all of these stories is slavery or people who are seeking emancipation. Um, in the first story, that is actually slavery, but that happens in various forms, even Jim Broadbent's character being having his freedom taken away in this nursing home. That seems to be one unifying theme. And also the fact of people standing up to this enslavement and either freeing themselves or showing themselves in their minds to be free and the knock-on effect down the ages of their actions. So, for instance, Jim Broadbent ends up writing about his being locked up in this nursing home and they make it into a movie and that ends up inspiring uh, soon me in this neo-soul hundreds and hundreds of years into the future as she, as he stands up to his oppressors and becomes this this figure of uh, great inspiration for other people. And that's pretty much the unifying story, but there's an awful lot in this film. I can say that I will watch it again, and I reckon I'll watch it again after that, which for a three-hour movie with this much sort of poor tense and heaviness that seems to be around it, it's lighter than air to watch. Um, I think the best sequence is probably the one with the composer, who uh, plays this uh, homosexual comp- young composer at Cambridge or somewhere who flees to Scotland when his uh, nefarious lifestyle is is about to bring him ruin. And that's the guy that hunkers down with uh, another brilliant Jim Broadbent characterization and, and composes this cloud atlas. I think that's probably the best sequence of all. But other than a little bit of clumsiness in the future sequences, they're all very good um the acting's excellent throughout sometimes the actors don't get it absolutely right but in the majority they do i think Jim bent's my favorite character in it for he's the one that is so different in each scene tom hanks looks like he has more fun making this film than he's had making any other film and he gets to play some riotous characters it's a very easy film to watch which for a three-hour meditative film on freedom and human nature and the ripples down the ages is is pretty impressive i'm going to give it a 9.5 a nine and a half out of 10 for cloud atlas it would have been my movie of the year had it been released last year in australia